Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 33, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always, Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Your Streak Without a Bad Day, Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, every day is a good day to be alive. It is episode 33. Mike initially said 34, which was going to be so exciting because that's, that's the Pumphrey number. Though obviously he's got to get a new one because Dexter McDougal, who was picked up a week ago, has that number. The reason I bring up Pumphrey again, though, is because <laughs> Derek Barnett... No, this is legit. Because Derek Barnett is out... For the season with the shoulder injury, the surgery, I need a new jersey bet for the season because my jersey bet was on Derek Barnett's inside spin move, and now that can't happen. And so I need a new jersey bet. And so at the behest of BLG, may he forever forever reign, I have selected Donnell Pumphrey touchdown to be my new jersey bet. If Donnell Pumphrey scores an NFL touchdown, rushing, receiving, returning, whatever it is for the Philadelphia Eagles in this season. Which, of course, it would be conditional on him being active and then him actually <laughs> touching the football and doing For something sure. good with it. <laughs> I checked. You can buy Donnell Pumphrey jerseys. They do exist in wow. Philadelphia Eagles. I might, like, depending on what happens, I might want to get, like, a San Diego State one because I feel like that would be much cooler. And he's, like, a he's a big college football record holder, so that would be more interesting. When you said that he had jerseys available to buy, I was assuming it was from San Diego State. No, there are Eagles ones available to buy. So that is the New Jersey bet. Dear listeners, though, I asked you guys after the Derek Barnett injury to please think of new potential jersey bets. Still think of those because Pumphrey probably ain't going to be on the active roster for very long. So we might need new ones uh, in a few weeks. But that is the official New Jersey bet. Benjamin Solak, Bleeding Green Nation, Kiss the Solak Show. And it's the last we will ever hear of it again. I have a feeling. One of my two jerseys from the two jersey bets are the two guys who are actually my weight on the team. Jake Elliott. It's it's a fun fact. Danelle Pumphrey was not the smallest player at the Senior Bowl in 2017 because Jake Elliott was there. Oh wow! Like the, these are the, the, literally the two smallest players in that class, <laughs> right? And everyone's like, "Oh, Pumphrey's the smallest player at the Senior Bowl," and he wasn't because of Jake Elliott. So if I get both those jerseys, man, I'm building up a set. It's a, it's a little duo. It's an incredible theme you got going on with those. That's amazing. All right, moving on from Danelle Pumphrey again, we have some news with the New York Giants. Damon Snacks, Harrison, the big stud defensive tackle. The Giants trade him to the Detroit Lions for a fifth rounder. Ben, all offseason, we were told that the Giants were in it to win it with Eli, and that was the justification for drafting Saquon Barkley at number two overall. We asked if they would win a game in their first eight, like honestly asked, because we were not sure, because we did not believe in this team at all. And here we are, approaching week eight. They have one win, and the rebuild is on. It is on. 
Ben, what do you think about this trade? Obviously, it says something about what they're trying to do now, right? They're taking offers for everybody. Uh, certainly. And and we, even when they selected Dalvin Tomlinson, defensive tackle out of Alabama in the 2017 class, we kind of had the question of, this is There's so many you of these already guys. have snacks. <laughs> yeah, you already kind of have like a big space gobbler. Don't really know if you need two of them, uh, you know, especially because both of them have very limited pass rush upside. So they do have they did have a uh, a plethora of talent kind of in that role, in that mold on their defensive line. A fifth is mm. is is poor return, even for a player who, you know, is more of a two down run stopper, not a pass rush guy. Even then, like I forget who it was who said it, but Detroit traded a guard, Lakin Tomlinson, to the Niners, I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. for a fifth. Mm-hmm. And Tomlinson's not a good player. For fifth. And yeah. then you come back and you get Harrison, who's a top five run defending defensive tackle in the league. Easily like a top 15 defensive tackle, I think you can even say. Maybe maybe a little bit lower. And I want to bring up real quick, not every trade is the Michael Bennett trade. That does not happen on a regular basis. Yeah. That is abnormal. I mean, <laughs> Michael Bennett was very much so about locker room and whether yeah. or not Bennett wanted to be there and so on and so forth. Listen, uh, so so a fifth for Tomlinson, I think, is a great deal for the Lions. And then for the Giants, certainly they're looking at a point where the young guys are going to be the guys who get playing time. Uh, if you have a, a second contract that's got bigger money on it, you're probably going to you know, uh, potentially be on the trade block. And this is why my good friend Michael... I have a scorching hot take for you. Oh, boy. Scorching hot. You don't have any sirens going like you normally do with the fire trucks in the background. Should we wait for that, or are you good? Yeah, honestly, if we wait probably about 20 minutes, then yeah, eventually we're going to get freaking sirens out my window. <laughs> but Hit it. if the Giants are legitimately in rebuild mode, if they are, you know, we've heard Janoris Jenkins is a potential to be moved and Snacks has already been moved, whatever, I'd call about Odell. Oh, wow. I think, Phil- I think the Philadelphia Eagles should call about Odell, and let me tell you why. Ooh, wow. Let me tell you why. So, obviously, Odell just signed the pretty new contract. This is a six-year six deal. He's got a cap hit of $21 million in 2019, $19 million in 2020, another $19 million in 2021, another $19 million in 2022. It is a big, healthy contract. There is an out after three years. So after the 2020 season, you could cut him and you'd be saving more money than you'd be killing dead. So let's acknowledge that. Okay. Obviously, you're talking about a guy who's right now 25 and is one of the top four wide receivers in the league. And so certainly, you know, you anticipate him being one of the premier offensive talents in the league in the future. The Eagles picked up Nelson Aguilar's fifth-year option this offseason, right? Mm-hmm. But when you pick up a fifth-year option, you don't really pick up a fifth-year option. What you do is you say, listen, we're going to put this option on the books but it's completely non-guaranteed money. It's only guaranteed for injury. So you can step out of that contract at basically any time before it becomes guaranteed for the season in terms of game checks, right? And so they're really not on the books for Aguilar whatsoever. And then after that fifth-year option for Aguilar, you then have to choose whether or not you're going to re-sign him, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So how much money are you willing to put down for Aguilar? Aguilar had one and a half, two bad seasons. Then he had a good season last season. And this season, he's struggling with depth of target. So if you don't know how much you want to give Aguilar, number one, do you want to give him a $9.5 million fifth-year option next year? And number two, how much are you going to extend him for if and when you get beyond that fifth-year option? Whereas, if Odell is on the table, 
the contract is in place. Obviously, it's huge. I'm not disputing that, but you have a huge contract in place. An incredible pass catcher. The Eagles need a deep threat. It's Odell Beckham Jr. He's one of the best deep threats in the league. He's opposite Alshon Jeffrey. You don't have to worry about wide receiver for the next four years, and then you just move on from Aguilar. Right? Because if Aguilar is just going to be, and, and I know Peterson talked about in the press conferences getting him more downfield targets, but if Aguilar's primary role in this offense is going to be underneath and touch stuff, right? Where it's like little backfield nonsense, I don't need to be spending nine and a half million dollars on that next year, right? I would much rather be putting $21 million in Hotel Beckham Jr.'s pocket than nine million in Nelson Aguilar's if that's all Aguilar's going to be, right? So a lot of it depends on what you envision for Aguilar. After the 2019 season, if you think you can extend him for three years, 18 million, and then kind of keep him around, then okay, like I'm, I'm much more into that plan. But if you don't know if you're sticking with Aguilar after this season, then your long-term wide receiver outlook right now, in up to next year, is maybe Aguilar at a 9.5 million dollar cap hit, maybe, and then you have Alshon. Mac Hollins on a rookie deal, Sean Gibson on a rookie deal, right? Hollins and Gibson are not known quantities. Those are depth players. You have basically just Alshon. You need, the Eagles need to acquire a deep threat at some point this year. The best deep threat in the league might be available for trade. You have to call. You have to at least call. I, I understand you have to at least call. Ben, is there an option that you think other than Odell where I can bring you from nuclear heat to like medium hot? Have you have you considered that at wide receiver? Is there is there another guy out there that fits that well, same kind of uh, mentality that you're talking about, uh, but something that would cost less, not only via trade and also via via cap? So you have uh, Brandon Cooks, who just signed obviously a huge deal with Los Angeles, and he's there for five years. Don't think they're going to be moving on from them. What you're going to get Stephon Diggs out from underneath Minnesota when they have him no. and Adam Thielen controlled? No, you're not. I've heard Deshaun Jackson is somebody who doesn't necessarily want to be in Tampa that much anymore, but I don't think they want to trade him there. I think it's just Jackson not being happy where he is. Obviously, he comes back to Philadelphia. That's somebody that would definitely be in the cards. Who else is an interesting downfield guy? What like I saw Marquise Goodwin mentioned today. You know, Goodwin is slightly younger than Mike Wallace. Probably like three or four years younger than Mike Wallace. All right, my producer's pulling it up right now. He's 27. He's turning 28. He's turning 28. Mike Wallace 32, so he's four years. Yeah. Right. That's young. I mean, I hear you, but also Goodwin's had one good year in a Shanahan offense. Look, you wanted a deep threat, and when you pull up, when you Google Marquise Goodwin age, it's literally a picture of him in a track outfit. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I don't dispute that. No, like, like I'm... <laughs> If Goodwin's a guy who's a, if Goodwin's a guy who's available, sure, let's rock it. I'm there. My point is, when we talk about Philadelphia needing to acquire a deep threat, my initial reaction when we when this first started to be something that I heard buzz about, and I've heard from multiple guys in the NFL draft community and and, and scouts and whatever that the Eagles are very interested in the downfield threats of the the 2019 NFL draft class, the wide receiver. It's a very deep class, and they're actually more so looking at the like bigger body contested catch guys than they are these speedsters like Marquise Goodwin. But whatever. When I think about the Eagles needing a deep threat, I was thinking to myself, okay, so like uh, you know Devontae Parker, late round pick, maybe he fits into that mold or whatever. Da 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 da. When I really sat down and thought about it, it's very, very easy to move on from Nelson Aguilar at any time. I like the way that you're framing this, and right. I think that the way that you're framing it is going to get lost on gentle listener B, C, and D, 
because they uh, they're automatically going to dismiss it because of Odell. I think what you're saying makes perfect sense as far as the way you're framing the Odell, the 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 Aguilar uh, right. of it all. My main thing, yeah, is like if there's a heavy hitter who's potentially available at the wide receiver position. You have to ask yourself as a front office, what do we know about Nelly right. that we feel comfortable either A, sticking with a $9.5 million fifth-year option, which I've said that number six times. Let me make sure Aguilar's actually a $9.5 million. Yeah, and, and while you do that, I will bring up that because of the struggles or the yep, lack of 9. production. 9.4. 9.4. Boom. So there's that. Uh, I am going to look into a season, kind of break it down like I would for a typical scouting academy eval, go through five games and kind of figure out what exactly is going on with him because I think right now we're just kind of speculating yards per catch definitely do not tell the entire story right. over the life of a game so that's something I want to look into but I am understanding exactly what you're saying if he is struggling and we we aren't sure if we can trust it moving forward right so you could very easily like you know it's it's Alshon and Aguilar for the next four years as your wide receiver one and two and then obviously you're very tight end oriented offense with Ertz and with Goddard right and so like bringing in like a a, a wide receiver one target like Beckham there's a lot of food to go around everybody's got to eat but if there's a guy who would who would clearly surpass Aguilar as a wide receiver either one or two Aguilar is in this team is in no way shape or form married to Aguilar in any capacity and so Hmm. if the if the availability is there and if the Eagles want to improve at their deep threat position which they clearly do and if the Giants are selling I'm calling I'm calling. I'm testing the waters. That's got to be done. Yeah, I, I definitely understand at least calling one person that I think the Eagles made a call on and there was a report on it or whatever the case may be. And this is kind of why we're talking more wide receivers and not cornerbacks right now. After the long discussion about Patrick Peterson yesterday was he made a statement today. And what it sounds like is that the Cardinals have basically fielded a bunch of offers, fielded a bunch of really good offers, a lot of teams interested, and the Cardinals shut them all down. And the understanding is now is that Peterson is staying in Arizona. Uh, Ben, did you pretty much get the same thing out of that that I got? Yeah, so that Patrick Peterson uh, social blast where Peterson kind of released a statement. And then uh, I think it was Shefty who ended up reporting that previous to that statement, uh, Peterson sat down with the president uh, for the Arizona Cardinals and got assurances of future wins, which, like, I don't know what that is. Like, no, nah, man, we're going to win games mean? in the future. Like, oh, I didn't realize we were going to win games in the future. Yeah, I'll stay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but regardless. A commitment to excellence. Yeah, just a little, like, like uh, a few minutes before that was happening, I was told that multiple teams had sent multiple pick packages to Arizona. Uh, I don't know whether or not the Eagles were included in that. I mean, I would imagine, yeah. All we we said all thirty-one teams should have been interested. And Arizona <laughs> wasn't even budging. There wasn't even yeah. a tap on the line in the water. Right? There was nothing. Nothing going. So you know, it was. It, it's it's interesting because you know you hear that oh, like you know, like the team wants to keep him, and we're not interested interested in trading Peterson. And then kind of the next domino to fall is for Peterson to get like very vocal with the media. You know, oh, the the Cardinals lose to the Niners this Sunday. And then all of a sudden, Peterson at his locker was like, this is unacceptable, you know, and he like gets some sound bites. And then you put a lot of stress on the GM to potentially think about moving him before the Tuesday deadline. Right. Props to Arizona for never really letting it get there, right? Like yeah. they got Peterson kind of, you know, uh, they, they circled the wagons as it were. And, you know, we're at the point where Peterson will probably still get asked about stuff after Sunday's game. But no matter how it goes, they probably have enough of a – handle on Peterson's frustration that they'll be able to clear the Tuesday deadline without him, you know, uh, getting refrustrated or anything like that. So Peterson, we should put it to bed. How many times have you heard 
oh, we haven't talked. Khalil Mack and John Gruden haven't talked. Yeah, this yeah, player yeah. and then the team haven't talked and then they get dealt. So, yeah, I agree. Good on the Cardinals for, for, like, yo. Shout out John Gruden, who today after Oakland practice told reporters he didn't even know if the Amari Cooper trade was official. Was final. While yeah. Amari Cooper tra- was practicing in, D- in Dallas. Amari yeah. Cooper, there's like a video of him on the Dallas Cowboys social site, like up in the new 19 jersey, up in the blue and white. And Gruden's like, yeah, I don't even know if the trade's final yet. What are you doing? And of course, and of course, he knows this is what Gruden does, and this is what people are going to learn about Gruden is that ego. Oh man, that like I don't care about Amari. I don't even know what Amari's doing. I don't even know if he's still in the states, bro. Like that's his attitude because it's all about Gruden, Gruden's world. Anyway, enough with the trades for today. I'm sure we'll be talking about it throughout the week, and as we approach this trade deadline, of course, we are on emergency pod high alert just in case something big does happen. Hopefully it doesn't happen while I'm editing this or whatever. But uh, today, what we need to talk about is first, there's two things to deal with. The injury report for the Eagles and Jaguars game in London. And then we are going to be previewing what we saw from the Jaguars offense. I did talk with, uh, I do want to bring up, I did talk with Zach Goodall from Locked on Jaguars. We put out out a show yesterday, good friend of mine. Uh, So he covers the Jaguars and gave us some insight there, which was very helpful. Go and listen to that if you haven't. To the injury report, Ben, long list here. And uh, we're going to play a little game. Oh, no. It's a funny (laughs) joke, but I'm not going to do that to a man. That's a that's okay. an actual person. Mike Mike hit me up today and he, and he was <laughs> lamenting how a lot of people were trying to like really emphasize to him how how good Wendell Smallwood has been and you know how valuable Smallwood is to this team. And actually, I saw a beat I think it was who said like, "Oh, Smallwood's been the best back this season" and like kind of that sort of stuff. And so Mike said, you know, Wendell such Smallwood nice is story. is kind of such an insignificant part of this team that when we go through the injury report, we're gonna play a game of matters a lot, matters a little, or Wendell Smallwood. <laughs> <laughs> look man is it nice it's not nice <laughs> it doesn't just doesn't matter running back four just doesn't yeah they're gonna play listen running back four matters when it's Danelle Pomfrey is all I'm saying we shouldn't categorically <laughs> say running back four doesn't matter if Corey Clement were still dealing with his quad the best Eagles running back could be like stocking shelves right now that's how much of a difference there is anyway did not participate today Derek Barnett, obviously with the shoulder. Why is he listed? Oh, because they haven't moved him to IR and they're still trying to figure out what to do with that roster spot. That's why he's still out for the year, obviously. Mm-hmm. Russell Douglas had uh, a day off, non-injury related, probably to go swag or flex on somebody. <laughs> Linebacker so- Nathan Nathan Jerry. Nathan Gary. Am I saying it wrong now? Did I forget how to pronounce his name? Nate Gary. Nate Gary. That makes yeah. so much sense when you just said it there. When I said it out of my brain to my mouth, did not make any sense. Say Amalo. He's still... <laughs> See Amalo. Say Amalo. Say Amalo. Say Amalo. Okay. Test <laughs> me on that later. Nate Gary, dealing with an ankle and knee, did not participate. Safety, Corey Graham, still dealing with that hamstring, being slow and being old. Cornerback, Sidney Jones, dealing with a hamstring. He is not going to be back until after the bye. I think he uh, came out and said that today. Running back, Wendell Smallwood, not injury-related. It's personal. Maybe he needs to go pray. Running back, Darren Sproles <laughs> with a hamstring. 
uh, still trying to fight back from that as just a hamstring from hell with him. Limited participation, DJ Alexander, of course, he's on the injury report dealing with a quadricep. Offensive tackle Lane Johnson still fighting the high ankle sprain that he suffered a few weeks ago. Defensive tackle Haloti Nato with the calf again. And then offensive tackle Jason Peters with the biceps. That's going to be literally every week now. It's not going to untear itself. Quarterback Carson Wentz still dealing with some back issues, but is going to be back or is fully expected to be in full participation tomorrow. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars injury report. We'll just run through this real quick. Did not participate. Leonard Fournette's not going to play. Cornerback uh, DJ Hayden, cornerback Taylor Patman, and linebacker Donald Payne. Those three guys don't mean really anything. Limited participation starter AJ Boye, the cornerback dealing with the calf. Defensive end, Clias Campbell, ankle and hip. Offensive lineman, Brandon Linder, the only good player on that offense, is dealing with a knee. Oh, other than Norwell, of course, um, dealing with a foot injury. And tight end, James O'Shaughnessy, sure. Offensive lineman, Jeremy Parnell with the shoulder. That's a really beat-up offensive line. And, Ben, you look at this roster. We looked at this depth chart, and I was like, this is so gross what they're putting out on the field. And you realize they've got Cam Robinson, the offensive tackle out of Alabama. He's on IR. DeAndre Goolsby, the tight end, is on IR. Uh, you've also got Will Richardson, which was going to be the reserve tackle. Tight end, Niles Paul. Austin Severian Jenkins. It's three tight ends. Yeah. Uh, Josh Wells, the, the tackle. Corey Grant, the running back. Uh, Marquise Lee. He's uh, – wait, that's a different Marquise Lee. Is it? He's listed no, as DB. That's, I thought that that's, was, that's the wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah, wide receiver Marquise Lee. Yeah, why do they have him listed as a DB here on Pro Football Reference? Anyway. To mess with you. That is a lot of players. And this offensive roster is kind of gross. Before we, before we get to this gross step chart for the Jaguars offense, is there anything on the Eagles – injury report that you wanted to touch on before we get into this Jaguars overs Eagles seat conversation just generally it's very interesting to see how they handle some of these limited guys like not as the first one that comes to mind Lane is another one who comes to mind because you're getting close to the bye so you're gonna have that extra week of rest and like it could be really helpful for like these guys dealing with hammies like you said Sidney Jones or Corey Graham or Darren Sproles you know you get two straight weeks of rest you know like you know like if Corey Graham's ready to go against Jacksonville. Do you play him or do you let him get two more weeks of rest knowing that you've got safety problems and worrying you re-aggravate it when, you know, you could have gotten him that extra week? Right. Risk management. Yeah. When you're coming into the bye and you have this many injuries, I mean, it kind of makes sense. You you haven't had your bye week yet and you're about to get it and it's going to help you get more healthy and it's going to be great. But you can't afford to lose this game. So, you know, you might right. be asking guys like Lane and, and Nada and even Corey Graham to potentially slug out another one, you know, to, to – uh, to, to grind out, you know, one last game before you give them that extra week of rest. Obviously, you've got a big, huge deal on the schedule coming out of the bye. We have the Rams, the Saints, and four divisional games. It's massive. So you need to be as healthy for that as possible. Uh, but you also right. can't afford to lose to Jacksonville and go three to five. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle injuries this week. There's a lot going into it. That's the life of suck when you're three and four. That's the type of stuff that you have to deal with and make decisions based on uh, I mean, I, immediacy is what needs to happen. It needs to get turned around. It needs to get turned around quick. So, Ben, before we di- dive into the, the Jaguars' offense, I want to I talk about the, the Eagles' defense real quick because we talk a lot about the offense and missed opportunities and whatnot. I want to make sure that we're giving equal time and, I don't know, maybe you'll call it equal blame. I don't know. Uh, but this Eagles' defense, if you just look at them like on the surface, just from the stats, you see sixth in points per game at 19.7, fifth best in money down conversion rate at 23%, fourth in red zone conversions, third mm-hmm. in frequency in which they force punts per drive. Those are really good 
situational efficiency numbers. So yeah, I mean, you can be disappointed that you blew two leads against the Titans and the Panthers. Totally get that. I am right there with you. And for as much as we complain and critique Jim Schwartz and get frustrated with some of these things, if you think, and we got a lot of this when we did three words, Ben, if Mm -hmm. people think that Jim Schwartz needs to be fired for giving up an average of 24.5 points in just the losses, which, by the way, compared to the rest of the league, would still rank in the middle of the pack for points allowed per game, not even counting the games of 12, 16, and 13 points allowed when they won, if you think that Jim Schwartz should be fired for that, I think you're barking up the wrong tree. And just just want to get that out of the way because Schwartz does absolutely deserve criticism, which he has received on this show on multiple occasions, including the last show. But let's not ignore the fact that he is being forced to patch things together on the back end with injuries that they've had and having to start a cornerback. That couldn't win a job when he was here with us before, and when he was within the was with the Jaguars earlier in the year, could not beat out one of the three UDFAs that they're currently rostering at cornerback. Maybe that has something to do with it. That's Class. all I'm saying. His defense also stamped out two late drives in the red zone to win games when the offense only put up 18 and 20 points. We make all these concessions for the offense, and there's merit to some of it. But it's a mess, this defensive backfield right now with McLeod and now Sydney out. And yeah, you got to be able to withstand those losses and keep rolling like last year. But maybe we should cool it on that train until, you know, he can be accept- expected to recite the names of the players he's starting from, from memory from week to week. Because right now, it's just a revolving door. That said, focusing on what needs to get better. The Eagles defense ranks fifth worst in frequency for drives that end in turnovers. And this needs to be the week that that changes because the Jaguars are turning it over once every five drives. That's third worst in the league. That's bad. Blake Bortles has been a turnover machine. So go get fed. Go eat in London. Create some turnovers and some favorable field position for your offense because that will certainly help some of that confidence with that defense and get that back at that swagger that you had back last year and it will also help your offense and put them in advantageous situations because right now their average start is on their own 26 yard line that's third worst in the league it takes a team effort it's not the offense not the defense it's both of them it takes the team effort to win the game scratch each other's back go make some doggone plays and look credit to the defense in the situations this year where they were turnovers and they stood on their heads and they and they stopped guys in the red zone, that's not lost on me and we tend to forget it ever happened. And last thing, Ben, I promise, and I'm going to end this rant. You're good. It would be nice for once because it happened, hasn't happened in four games. It would be nice to win a game where we allowed over 20 points and under 30 points and won that freaking game. Even when the defense just plays average, we don't have to investigate every single part of the defensive game plan with a fine tooth comb and magnifying glass to find large sweeping faults that we wouldn't have to do if there was a win. And if both sides would hold up their end of the bargain, score points, not turn the ball over, turn the ball over. Ben, I'm hoping that this Jaguars offense alleviates some of the turnover issues that this defense has had and it opens the floodgate for us because some of some of turnovers is luck. Some of turnovers is being really good. I don't think the Eagles have been that close to to creating turnovers. This has to be the week. They have to put their offense in positions with shorter fields. And the offense also has to get them in positions that give them shorter or longer fields. So it's got to work both ways. Uh, ben, 
going off the rails there at the end. But I think you know what I'm saying. We're not firing Jim Schwartz. Even if he continues on the same path for the rest of the season, we're not firing Jim Schwartz over this. That's nonsense. No, the, the main complaint when it comes to Schwartz things, and I think the first time that we really railed into Schwartz was after the Carolina loss, because whenever your team is, gives up 21 points in a fourth quarter, uh, your defense oh, yeah. did something wrong. And like mm-hmm. you can say, you know, oh, the Eagle offense only scored 17 points. Yeah. Uh, also, there was a 17-point lead coming into the fourth quarter. Like Usually you expect your defense to be able to maintain that. Carson Wentz, it's tough. I don't know whether or not to count the Los Angeles Rams game because uh, obviously Carson got us the lead on his final play in that game and then Foles just kind of picked up another field goal and kept it to eight. And so I don't really know if that's a win. Whether or not, you, let's say we don't count the Rams game. Carson Wentz has never won a game where the opposing team scored more than 24 points. So there have been two games uh, in his career where the opposing team, he beat a team that scored 24 points. They were back-to-back games in the 2017 season early in that year when the Eagles were kind of uh, beating some teams by like three or by four and everybody thought that they weren't necessarily too legit. The uh, Carson has never won a game, uh, like a high-scoring football game. Uh, over 24 points by the opposing team. It's never happened. I, I would I would implore you to say the Eagles with Carson at quarterback because QB wins. And <laughs> No, it's true. <laughs> the, clear. the reason I say that is because it's easiest for me to find the game logs on Pro Football Reference by going to one player <laughs> and then yeah. going through. Also, yeah. I mean, so Foles, so Foles, you know, the Oakland game, the Dallas game, all of those were definitely under 24 points by the opponent. Uh, Falcons in the playoffs were under 24 points. Under 24 points for the Vikings, 38 to 7. Uh, and then the Patriots game, clearly uh, they scored more than 28 points. And it was a really big deal, or more than 24 points, excuse me. And it was a really big deal that they did because everybody was like, this is the most yardage and Super Bowl losers ever had, you know? Like, it was, that was like exceptional. So, yeah, there's something to be said for the fact that really, you know, this Eagles offense does not find a lot of success. Uh, in kind of boat races, you know, those games that are just high octane blow for blow. It's just it doesn't seem to be a formula that's worked for them. Let's say under Peterson, right? Just in the general three years under Peterson and Swartz. So absolutely, uh, you could make a very strong case that when this team wins, it's because their defense is playing well. Like that's what really makes the difference because if their defense doesn't play well, this offense has struggle, uh, struggles to stay in those boat races, like I said, in those big scoring games. I, we're nowhere near close to firing Jimbo. What it comes down to when we complain about Jimbo and what these losses hopefully do for Jimbo is force him to a point where he has to get better at the adjustments that he uses in the fourth quarter or in or whenever he's getting beat up, whenever he's given up a couple of big scoring drives in a row, wherever his corners are jumping at these sort of routes. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, it was yeah, and 10... he speaks on that and he says, you know, there's no such thing as halftime adjustments and that's fun to write about and talk about and all that. But the adjustments happen play by play. They happen drive by drive, that kind of thing. So I, I definitely see your point. Yeah, absolutely. Right. When we talk about halftime adjustments, the anecdote there is that, well, there's more time. Uh, yeah. You know, because you're in the locker room. But the reality is, Jim isn't coaching for half the game. He's sitting with his guys looking at stuff because the offense is on the field, right? And that's where, like, time of possession ends up mattering a little bit. It's because of how much time your coach has to go through stuff with you on the sideline. Uh, you know, people like talk about it being tired. But really, you know, if you're only out there for three plays, only, like, you know, three chronological minutes, like, not game minutes, but three chronological minutes, that's very little time to, like, make adjustments on the on the bench there and talk about what the opposing offense is doing. So, 
like I said, nowhere close to, to firing Schwartz. What you want to see is is his ability to adjust to his personnel, improve a little bit. And it was Ten Nguyen of the Athletic who had this really good point that I thought, where simply when you play your corners as far back as you're doing in cover three, uh, and then they keep on getting beat by slant after slant after slant after slant, of course they're going to be aggressive on a sluggo because they don't want to get beat anymore. You know, like they. they Hu- corners humans don't want to lose over and over and over again, right? And just putting and we, them kind of. And we talked about Darby getting getting slants in front of him all day, and that's kind of why right. he bit, yeah. Right, but it's that mental aspect of it of you just like you're kind of putting your player in a losing spot, and that's why he might play with a technique you didn't teach him. It's because he's getting desperate to stop having completions on him, you know. Uh, and so, like that's sort of a stuff. Like the hope is that Schwartz grows through that. And even if he doesn't, it's a really strong personnel defense that's been playing in his scheme for a while, and it's a good defense. The hope is that the you know uh, it seems like good offenses can figure them out, and, and Jimbo's got to develop the counter punch. That basically is what it comes down to. I don't think they're as good as sixth in points per game at nineteen point seven. I don't think they're as bad as blowing two fourth quarter leads. But unfortunately, both of those are real things, and the truth is somewhere in the middle for sure. It has to be this week that we, or we really have high expectations for this defense, though. Like, I'm not going to be cool with 20 points from the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm just not. Uh, number number one, Blake Bortles is a bad quarterback that was benched last week. Number two, you look across this depth chart. Where is the advantage for the Jaguars? Is there a like? Is there a single player on the Jaguars that you would take over the current starter in Philadelphia right now, other than? Maybe running back because T.J. Yeldon is better than Wendell Smallwood. I don't think there is. Brandon Linder's their best player. He's their center. I'm Norwell, keeping Jason Kelsey. Nowhere, Norwell over Sam Wallow. Okay, so Andrew Norwell. That's one. That would be my only one. And then like the <laughs> like Yeldon and whoever else they've got on that freaking depth chart, you know, over one of our guys. Like probably just with the injuries that have been incurred. Sure, like it'd be nice to grab one of them. Hey, they they brought in Jamal Charles and they cut him. So Jamal Charles is back on the street. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. So Ben, looking at this matchup. And we look at like pro football focus, what they expect for the line. As always, the Eagles rank highly in you know their advantage in pass blocking or the Jaguars trying to pass block them at negative 28%. It's the third worst pass blocking advantage Listen. of the week. Go Listen. ahead. Listen. I know what you're going to say. Listen. The Jacksonville <laughs> offensive tackles are so bad. They are so bad, Mike. Yeah. yeah I just blew Mike's ears out because I screamed into the mic, but I don't really care. <laughs> I'll put it to you this way. Here's here's another. I have another spicy take after my Odell take. If we this is this is 2018 Bortles and Bortles was selected in the 2014 NFL draft. I want to say third overall. Who cares? Yeah. If if this was like 2016 Bortles, right, and he was young enough that we could still talk about him being a young quarterback, there would be a huge narrative of listen, he can't. You know, you can't develop can't a quarterback this on by this offensive line. He can't do this with this <laughs> receiving core. He deals with a lot of drops. He does. He deals with he a does. healthy amount of drops. Keelan Cole cannot catch the ball. Right. And he gets a lot of pressure. And if there's one thing that's been bad about Bortles since the UCF days and bad about Bortles since the first day he stepped in the league, his pocket presence is garbage. It's the worst thing about him. Like his mechanics mm-hmm. are bad. Accuracy is pre-snap processing is honestly better than I thought it was going to be. Oh, his velocity is meh. There was there was one, I forget what it was, but I was watching a couple weeks ago just going through some games, and he drops back in the pocket, and he looks so cool and calm, and he just throws one out there. I'm like, oh, he saw something. Dude, he threw it to like triple coverage. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what 
is this? Th-? He looked he looked so confident in that throw. He seems like the most unaware quarterback in the NFL. It, it's it's crazy to me. Right? No, he honestly. <laughs> so you'll uh, uh, this is an experience I have with him regularly. He's just thinking, I'm, oh, I could have you know I could have been a construction right. worker, but I'm out here. Right. Listen, I'll watch him and just I'll be like, oh, like that was a good like pre snap recognition, like man coverage on the outside, take that shot. It's a good play, and be like. Oh, Chief's giving him a lot of cover three, and he's, he's trying to attack this skinny post off play action. Like, that's good. Like, that's like, yeah. all right, Blake. Like, let's get this money. Here we go. And then he'll have, like, a super wide open crosser across the intermediate level of the field. And I'll be like, oh, look at him. He's looking off the safety to make sure this stays open. And then he throws it to, like, the wrong guy. I'm like, no, we were so close, Blake. Oh, we were doing so well. It's so bad. Yeah. The uh, right tackle, Jeremy Parnell, is, uh, is a lumberer, right? He's a big, powerful dude. But he does not deal well with speed and explosiveness around the edge. Uh, and, and he's going to see Brandon Graham. But also Chris Long is the guy who lines up at left end for the Eagles a lot. And and D Ford, who's an explosive bendy player but has struggled, beat the pants off Parnell multiple times in the Chiefs game. And, and Chris Long should be able to win the corner on him regularly, I would imagine. On the opposite side, uh, I look at our lads for depth charts. And I ended up messaging Mike because listed as the starting left tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars on our lads is Eric Flowers. And I was like, there's oh. no way the Eagles get to play Eric Flowers again, right? It's not Christmas. My birthday come early? And they don't. Josh Walker, uh, who's listed as their backup guard, uh, is playing left tackle over Eric Flowers, who's, you know, a left tackle from college, which should tell you how good Eric Flowers is. And Walker does not have functional power or functional speed. He's a backup guard playing left tackle, for God's sakes. He's not ready to handle anybody. Like, uh, Big Josh Sweat, breakout game coming. Big, big yeah. Josh Sweat debut. And obviously you're going to have uh, Michael Bennett and even Brandon Graham from that side as well. So uh, I expect the ends to eat in a big way. Brandon Linder, the center, is a, is one of the NFL's best centers. He's playing quite well. Uh, he's not as agile as a Kelsey, and he's not as good of a recognition player, but he's got a ton of power. He's a ton of bricks. And then Andrew Norwell is one of the uh, one of the premier guards. I think his plays dropped a little bit. You know, he's not necessarily what he was that last year. He was Carolina, uh, but he's he's a dancing bear out there. He's very agile. He's very smooth, and he's a powerful player. Uh, and then AJ can their right guard is kind of rough. He's not too good. So Ben, yeah, I think you did a great job there breaking down the offensive line for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Thanks, There's not much else to say about it. It's not a good unit. Not fun to watch. I actually resent the Jaguars for what I had to go through today watching their film. Looking at the passing game matchups, and we talked about drops, and let's talk about Ronald Darby against Keelan Cole, who has awful hands. Every time I see this guy, it dude, they're just paying off of him. There's, he's got he's got nothing. Man. He's so unreliable and and like yeah, you have to like pass blame around like you were saying. Blake Bortles doesn't deserve all the blame. He gets right? he gets a little bit more blame. Old bloke Bortles, bloke Bar Bartles, Blark Bartles models does. Uh, <laughs> he gets more blame than he deserves because uh, it's just so much fun to make fun of him. Uh, good old Bake Bortles, but. Yeah, the offensive line deserves some heat, and so does the receiving court as well. Right. So if there is 100% blame to be passed around, it the Jaguars 100% is more like 200% for a normal offense. That's how condensed that 100% is for them. I know that's not real math. Yeah, I'm out. Percent means per 100. I'm gone. Well, what here, here's what I'm saying. If Carson Wentz deserves 50% of the blame for the offense— Blake Bortles deserves 450% of the blame for the Jaguars offense, and there's still some percent to so pass So why not just say it's a 9-1 ratio? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Blake deserves nine times as much blame for the state of his offense than Carson does. And then Keelan Cole deserves 250%. 
Jalen Mills against Dante Moncrief. Moncrief, Moncrief can't separate. He's garbage. Um, Just make him maybe he will this week. <laughs> um, Didi Westbrook against Dexter McDougal. That one scares me. Uh, I think Didi can do some dirty things to Dexter, Mike, especially after you the versus catch. Dexter McDougal scares me. <laughs> the game it, against it really Carolina was so bad. Maybe two or three plays. And I'll just be gassed out and my ankle will swell up and all that. Ben, who the hell is David Greenwich and why is he playing in the NFL? He has three catches, three career catches. He got them in the last couple of weeks for 24 yards. He's a tight end, apparently. And then also James O'Shaughnessy, who showed up in the injury report. We talked about him later. He has nine career, no, 31 career catches in four years. Uh, Both those guys against Malcolm Jenkins or my dog aren't getting open. Ben, any matchups that, other than the Dexter McDougal one, scare you at all? Mills versus Moncrief, Darby versus Cole, the non-existent, made-up, Madden-generated tight ends? Uh, David Greenwich, for your information, came out in 2016 NFL Draft. A tight end at NC State. He is a 6'5", 248-pound tight end who vertical jumped 29.5 inches, all right? Broad jump 9 feet what? 3 inches. But don't worry, don't oh worry, God, don't dude. worry. Three cone, 7.56 seconds. But wait, 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 wait. Is he a dump truck? Wait, wait, wait. 40, 40 yard dash, 4.79 seconds. And here's the real kicker. He benched 225 seven times. So you're going to be that slow and that unexplosive and that big, 6'5", 250, and throw up seven reps of 225. It's very sad. I'm just staring blankly at that. I mean, it's not good radio, but I am Shout like, out. What? David Greenwich for making <laughs> it onto an NFL roster, despite good for him. The fact, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> he gets to tell that story for years, dude. Passing attack. Who's, okay, go okay, God. Here's what I want to know because I was watching this guy, and I've got one of those clips up on my Twitter timeline. It was a tight end, and he was having serious issues in pass pro, but their tight ends are so bad. I didn't even look at the number. I believe it was 86. It's mm-hmm. David Greenwich, yep. which is. Terrible blocker. And they want to keep these guys in because they want to use that heavy play action game? No. Good luck. Yeah, you can't because the the, O'Shaughnessy can't block and Greenwich can't block. And then I don't know who else they even have left on the roster. But when it comes to this Jacksonville passing attack, uh, the bad news is this. They saw a lot of cover three from Kansas City and they saw a lot of cover three from Dallas. And they know how to attack it. They, you know, uh, Nate Hackett schemed up some good cover three beaters and Blake Bortles. Conceptually, right, yeah. Blake Bortles threw the correct pass. That's the end <laughs> of the bad news. Here's the good news. The pass didn't arrive where it belonged regularly. Kansas City, they, they had Kansas City with levels and they had Kansas City with you know little bang eight posts all up in the cover three scenes ever flooding zones great offensive game plan and Bortles couldn't hit jack he couldn't hit four interceptions diddly squat all right the Kansas City defense is so bad and was playing so poor so right. poorly at that time he threw four interceptions and, and, and I'm very very interested to see they said Bortles has a short leash okay and I'm so curious just from like an NFL perspective to see what that means because I can take you to a point in each game where I watched and say, this is the point where they ran out of confidence in Bortles, so they started only throwing routes five yards or shorter. 
right? You can right. find it every game. Usually it's like early in the second quarter. Um, but against Kansas State. Next thing you know, they're running mesh all game. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's, and it's <laughs> we're going to run play action and run deep routes solely so we can pull, like linebackers get pulled in and then there is play action and they bail deep and then we're going to dump it off to the halfback. That's literally so much of their offense and it, it is kind yeah. of works because they're picking up five yards every play and they're moving the sticks but it's it, there's but those plays are designed to be like shots those are supposed to be like we right. want 40 yards on this but they're like dialing them up to get five there's nothing about this offense downfield that scares me at all which the eagles defense their biggest problem is giving up downfield passes so this is great this might be a game where you can just sit and cover three and probably be fine which I'm afraid of saying that because I feel like Bortles is just going to flick on the London switch and have an incredible game. Uh, and I'm going to yeah. sound so stupid. I'm going to be furious. But this should not be – There is there is not enough pass protection and quarterbacking ability on the Jaguars to threaten the Eagles' defense despite how poorly they've played. I firmly believe that. I'm excited to be proven wrong, but I firmly believe that. This is so bad. I think we covered it. If this offense scores on us, we're, we're screwed anyway. And that's, that's, that's how I feel about it. This should be so – simple for the eagles to shut down we'll see what the body clock and jet lag and and all that nonsense uh how that affects the eagles because if there's concerns about i i like the way that jacksonville draws up their inside zone and i like the way that they kind of play with linebackers minds a little bit and we can talk about that more we're quite long on the podcast but so that i but, yeah. but they can't execute they can't execute they can't execute right, but the general <laughs> idea is that if we talked about the desperate two and three eagles going into a thursday night game against the giants and if this team is as good as we think they are they'll show up and they'll be fine and they'll dominate and they did did the same thing for three quarters against carolina and then just completely dropped the ball inexcusably now you're three and four looking at the bye a game and a half back on the redskins and you've got jacksonville and london a really struggling jacksonville team if this is a team that's as good as we think they are they should be able to come out and handle this game quite quite handily Right, I, I remember yep. saying they should dominate the Panthers, and three quarters into that game, I was so happy was true. that I felt that out. Right, I was like, "This, I, yep. I, I, I keyed in on the Eagles. It was exactly what we thought it would be. Yeah, and then they completely dropped it. So now they've got to get right back into that mindset of we need to come out and dominate because we need a dominant performance. And then finish. If they do so, they're clearly more talented than this roster. Ben, that's enough. This Jaguars offense, <laughs> I present it. Say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Let them know what we have on tap for tomorrow. Gentle listeners, we asked, you delivered because you are handsome and we like you, or you're pretty, kind of whatever it is you need to hear about yourself. Uh, we clear 500 ratings. We have 502 ratings. Oh, we? Yes, we do. 497 of them are five-star ratings out of the 502. Mike, you can do the percentages on that because you're really good at those, apparently. Uh, we're still at 196 <laughs> reviews, so if you do want to swing by and leave us a review and you haven't yet, once we hit 200, I will read out some, and they are really quite funny. Uh, and so I would like you to read out some because they make me laugh. So please uh, go ahead and four more reviews. We need to hit 200 and that will be very exciting. Uh, as always, this has been the Kiston Solak show. We do appreciate you listening. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Tomorrow is Friday. Uh, we will be talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars defense which is a, a storied and, and, and well-manned team that's just, you know, dying out there trying to survive with that offense. Very excited to see what that unit looks like up against Philadelphia. It should be a premier X's and O's mashup. Todd Wash, defensive coordinator, does a lot of complex stuff with that defense. 
some of which, in my opinion, is too complex, but we'll get to that. Uh, and obviously, Doug Peterson draws up a really nice offense. We'll talk a lot more about depth of target and stuff that we saw from Carolina, what we expect to see against Jacksonville then. And of course, we got our final predictions, including the Vegas line spread. Then Saturday is uh, BLG, May He Forever Rain. Rain, and John Stolness with the official Bleeding Green Nation radio preview show. And we'll have you all uh, strapped and ready to go, 9.30 a.m. on Sunday. London game against the Jaguars. Waking up early to some football. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.